Guys, welcome back to another Progress Pure podcast. I am super excited for this episode. It's part of the dating series where me and one of my best friends, Anna, talk about love languages. If you haven't heard the term love languages, you don't know where it comes from. It comes from this American author called Gary Chapman, who is famous for his book published in 1992. The book is called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. And the concept of this book is super famous and connects with millions of people. Like he sold over 11 million copies of this book. It's been translated into 49 other languages. It's claimed the New York Times bestsellers list, number one spot at times. And when I posted about this on my story, a bunch of you guys replied telling me what your love languages were which I think is really interesting and something that Anna and I wanted to explore further. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you want to reach out with anything specific to say, with any comments, feedback, etc., DM me at Progress Pure. But apart from that, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Can I hear myself? Yes. Can you hear yourself? exciting Anna thank you so much for being on my podcast no worries I'm so uh this is weird I know it is weird it's weird because right now we're sitting in a room that we're not used to we're looking at a camera that is stacked on top of three toilet papers (laughs) and we're talking about love languages this pod is dating series and we wanted to mostly talk about love language right and I'm so excited to finally be able to talk to you about this because obviously you and me have been doing an extensive amount of well not an extensive amount we've been doing some research over the last like 24 hours and normally with these kinds of podcasts or when they're on like a topic or a book or whatever I try and say okay go away do some research and then we'll kind of put our two brains together mm-hmm. and just see what we think on these things and for the last 24 hours when we've been together like there have been moments where I'm like oh my god I need to talk to you about this and need to talk to you about this how, how this different culture expresses this form of love and we just haven't been able to so before we kind of get stuck into what we think about different love languages and how cultures express love and like all the stuff that you've researched some things which I think would be good to clarify for people who are listening so and obviously interrupt me at any point if you're like that's not what I heard um or if you have contradictory uh research but so the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is because about a month ago I was at a dinner and my friend Tal she was talking about how everyone has their own kind of uh, different love language and this concept of like love languages came about by this author Gary Chapman in 1992. Gary Chapman. Chapman. (laughs) We've definitely listened to the audio (laughs) book. So if you don't know Gary Chapman he I don't know where he's from the states but he's from somewhere where they talk (laughs) like this and he has this book that he talks about I think it's premised on the fact that if after you get married, love or marriages tend to fail, people fall out, in lo- out of love with each other. And so he kind of came up, he he compares that when people get married and they're not expressing that they love one love each other in the correct way. So it's not that they don't love each other, it's just that like, for example, I might interpret someone loving me by buying me gifts. Whereas if Anna and I were married, Anna might interpret it as me physically touching her. Mm-hmm. Hope that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Um, no, I love it. Good. Uh, as physically touching her. And there are five different love languages and he defines those different love languages as words of affirmation. Quality time. Quality time. Physical touch. Giving gifts. Giving gifts. Um, and acts of service. Acts of service. Yeah, those are the different five ones. And I think he says that everybody has like one main one. It doesn't mean that you don't communicate or you don't understand love in a different, in, in more than one way. Like all of those ways are ways of feeling love or expressing love. Um, but people tend to have like one main one. And so that is kind of mostly what I want to talk about because then when we were at the dinner, my friend Tao asked me, okay, what do you think yours are? So you've got affirmation, physical touch, gifts, service, and quality time. And even though it's interesting because when I was talking about it with Tao, the impression I got was this is not something, like 
that everyone has this from the beginning whereas when I was like at the beginning of a relationship and these are things that you pick up in childhood whether you have one or the other Mm -hmm. but then doing some research on Gary Chapman and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this but he says it's kind of after marriage when like love tends to fail that that's when these languages really come into play yeah you're saying that they they start from birth well apparently like apparently when you're a kid it depends how your parents treated you or how they expressed love to you like maybe they never told you that you were so amazing and Mm -hmm. so maybe that when you get older and you start and you have a relationship with someone you don't express your love in that way but I think from what Gary was saying that like when you are when you first become in that relationship with someone before marriage you're so in love with them that you're doing all these like really nice things for them anyway and you're not Mm. like fully you know you're fully like relaxed self around them or the spark hasn't faded and then when you get married the spark fades and so you have to really try and communicate in their love language do you know what I mean yeah I do but so my (laughs) my first issue with that yeah is that surely so much of that comes from culture and the ways that we're taught to show each other love rather than a personal way of doing it just personally yeah so we're taught like oh if you want to if you want to gain you know someone's affection or if you want to be affectionate to them you take them out for dinner Mm. I just find that you know Gary (laughs) Gary Gary (laughs) talks about um human culture yeah like what is that you mean human culture I know it's such a good point like the fact that how can you categorize all humans to have one of five love languages Mm -hmm. and you are right like I was doing some research on for example generally obviously you can't like generalize whole of japan but how japanese people convey love i don't know if you came across this but there was some reading that was saying that uh in japanese culture it's like not normal well japanese people quote unquote apparently tend to be shy they don't come right out with things like i love you as freely as people might do in the west that's from a website called sangui japan which obviously i have pronounced wrong they still feel love to the same way that everybody does, I think, where you're like consumed by it, etc. But the way that we show love, maybe in terms of uh, words of affirmation or physical touch is so altered by like movies and TV and film. And a lot of the time that comes from the West. It's really difficult though, because how, how, can, how can you say that they are feeling it in the same way we are, even if there are those factors it's yeah. just it's just like we're talking about a feeling like how can you define a feeling yeah but I feel like everyone feel can knows what love is everyone is in who like all human ev- beings all human beings I think if you've been in love you I mean okay have you been in love yeah definitely yeah and how would um, you describe that it went deeper than just did he say nice things to me did he buy me gifts it's like a deep feeling of connection to that Mm. person Mm. and I feel like there are no words for that Mm -hmm. Mm. I don't I wouldn't describe it as that coming under any of those categories really Mm -hmm. Mm. but do you think that you like so you and me have a love for each other right even if it's not a romantic love like I love you but do you think that there are ways in which and you know that I love you Mm. but there do you think that there are ways in which you understand that I love you by doing one of the five, expressing one of the five love languages that make you know that I love you. Like, for example, when we spend quality time with each other, is that how you know that I love you? It's weird. Like, I feel like those are ways of showing we appreciate each other and we enjoy each other's company. But I wouldn't say that, oh, I know Molly loves me because she spends time with me. I know Molly loves me because she buys me coffee. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I don't feel... um, that that's when I feel loved. Yeah. I think that's when I'm like, oh yeah, me and Molly are best friends. I don't know, what about you? Do you feel that? Well, it's funny because like when, I think I like the idea of thinking that I, I think it's like a narcissistic thing that I like the idea of thinking that love languages exist and that I adhere to a love language because it's one of those things that help like quote unquote define you. And it's like a nice thing. Like it's the same, it reminds me of the same thing as why I would want to go to a, a palm reader or something for someone to like tell me about myself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know that about myself. Or I want to categorize myself in like this box. And so when I was at that dinner, reading the different love languages, the one that really jumped out for me was gifts. Because I was like, I, I 
love it when people it doesn't have to be a big thing but like buy me cookies you know my favorite cookies or like buy me something because it makes me think oh they're thinking about me but even if I like that that wouldn't mean anything if we didn't spend quality time with each other it wouldn't mean anything mm. if you know I don't know I'm trying to think of an act of service that you that that if that it wouldn't mean anything if unless like one time I was like, Anna, can you make me a tea? And if you're like, I'm not making you a tea, then there wouldn't be like an act of service. Do you know what I mean? Like all the, all those things play in, to, in with each other. Like mm. if we never touched, I would probably find that also pretty weird, especially if I was in a romantic relationship and we never had like physical touch, even outside the realms of intimacy. That would also, that like, you can't really just have one without the others. But then, you know, what just came to mind is absence makes the heart grow fonder or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, what is that about? Mm. Because if you're, if you're not with them, then the heart, you know, gets uh, fonder. Mm-hmm. But when you are with them, I don't, I don't really get that. How does that come into this? Is that love or is it obsession or? Do you mean in terms of love languages, like, because if you're assuming love language and that person kind of has to be around you at some, they have to be around you in some kind of like physical presence to some extent. And so if they're not around, how can you feel loved? But then again, that contradicts that famous term, absence makes the heart grow stronger. That's, I think if you've already developed some kind of love for that person. He also talks about the love tank. If you think of it as like fuel or something and you just don't feel that loved in your relationship and you need words of affirmation to kind of fill that up and feel loved. Mm. Surely there's a lot about sort of codependency there, Mm -hmm. where you need someone else for you, in order for you to feel okay in yourself, in order for your love tank to be full, you need someone else. Yeah, maybe, like to a certain extent, I feel like though, so like the love tank thing, I think is interesting because like you were saying, he he doesn't, you don't necessarily feel loved unless that person is kind of like meeting your needs, whatever mm. your needs are. And then he categorizes those needs as one of those five things. Yeah. Whether or not I agree that you need to feel one of those five things in order to feel loved, I don't know if I agree with. But in terms of self-love and needing someone else and like codependency, I feel like that's kind of a different thing because this kind of goes into like the stoicism stuff that I was like researching how like you can't go into a relationship unless you do have that level of self-love. And then once you have that level of self-love and you feel good about yourself, then it's kind of like what you need from a partner and do they meet all those requirements? And if they don't, then your tank is kind of empty in relation to that relationship. Did you ever watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, I've like a couple of episodes, <laughs> okay. but not that much, why? Cause they're like, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And I think that's true. Yeah. Um, on one level, for sure. Yeah. You know, how can you possibly have a lasting love or a meaningful love with someone else if you haven't come to love yourself and appreciate just you and your own being? Yeah. How are you supposed to do that? Yeah. I was reading about five love languages and I thought, this is so wrong because it basically breeds this kind of love that's so codependent you need someone else and you know you're it's all kind of selfish in a way because it's like well if it's done in the wrong way I guess oh yeah I'll I'll do this for you if you do it for me Mm. you know it's this very sort of like point scoring type relationship where I'm showing you love so you've got to show me love if you know my love language and you're not communicating that to me then you don't love me Mm -hmm. and I just think it's so it just doesn't doesn't feel right at all but then I came back to thinking about, well, is love really selfless? Yes. Is, that, is it not just like, is that not just what it is? It is selfish. You're trying to feel, you know, love as a feeling. So it's within yourself. It's interesting that you came to that too, because when I initially wanted to do this pod, I was also looking at just the love languages, words of affirmation, blah, blah, blah. And then from doing more and more research about okay, this is how potentially in the West we feel love, but like what is love in terms of different cultures and different stories where they express it? And it led me on to readings of talking about what is love and like yeah. stoicism yeah. and uh, is love selfless or is it selfish? Mm-hmm. And there was this really interesting concept. So there's this 
person, this person's probably really successful and I don't know who they are, called Anne Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were arguing that love is totally selfish. Mm-hmm. Love is not self-sacrifice, but the most profound assertion of your own needs and values. It is for your own happiness that you mm-hmm. need the person you love. And that is the greatest compliment. The greatest tribute you can pay to that person. You're being loved for what you have to offer, not what you lack, AKA love is not selfless. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because normally you think like, or I, I guess in my own mind, I would think, oh, I guess with love, it's an act of service to that person and not necessarily an act of service of I'll give you a massage, which is what Gary Chapman would kind of like see as an act of service, but like an act of service, like I'm going to be there for that person. And let's say you're with someone and they want to move to a different country at love. It is technically arguably not I'm gonna stay with you and I'll be there for you when you need me but rather it is a selfish thing and so it would be okay for you to say like actually that's not meeting my needs like love is what can you bring to me for the table Mm -hmm. and even if actually that person moved away and they could still bring to the table things for you like emotional support they're still they're still propping you up do you know what I mean yeah, so on a, on one level, you're always kind of depending on them, and it's a it's more about you than it is about them in a way. Yeah, yeah. And but do you have you thought about did that reading that you came across talking about how love is selfish rather mm. than selfless? Did yeah. it make you reconsider what you think is love? When I think about true love, like I like this concept of true love. To me, that's about it being unconditional. You know, like you really, it's about, it's not about them loving you back or giving you anything. But on the other hand, I just don't, I just don't know if that's possible. I think we're inherently selfish. Not that that's even a bad thing. I think it's just human nature to need our, to have our needs fulfilled, to need to feel loved. Yeah. Rather than to love others. Also, what would be the point in, for, in loving someone if they didn't, if it wasn't all about you. Like, I know that sounds really vain and maybe I'm totally missing the point, Mm. but I'm just genuinely trying to consider when, like, so right now, like if I'm looking for a partner, right? I hate that word partner, but if I'm looking for a boyfriend or a husband or whatever, me looking for that person, I'm looking for someone who adds to my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for someone being like, hmm, whose life can I really improve? Or like, who can I make better? But it's just funny because then I feel like sometimes when you meet that person who you're attracted to for whatever reason, you turn it in your head from this act of original selfishness mm-hmm. to selfish to, to unselfishness mm-hmm. of, okay, how can I help them? How can I support them? Which I guess in a way is an exchange because you're obviously aware of the things that they can bring to your table and that's why you're probably pursuing them and sacrificing your time. Yeah, it also reminds me of, I think we've spoken about, I think the School of Life put up this video about why we choose the partners we choose. Mm. And it ultimately came down to, we don't like this person because they're not my type or they're not right for me. When really it boils down to, they're unlikely to make me suffer in the way that I need to suffer to feel that love is real. And yeah, I think there's like two two sides of a coin here where mm. it's like, are they are they making me suffer in the way I need to suffer? But also, you know, is, is there something selfish in that? Is yeah. it, I guess it's like, is it selfish to want to, on some level to, to suffer? Do you mean, is it selfish in order to use them to make you feel like you're suffering? Because like, that's the way that, because obviously doesn't that, the thing that he talks about, that comes from, like Alan de Botton, that comes from mm. childhood and how you suffered as a child. Mm. And maybe it's a selfish motivation to try and seek that same suffering out of someone else because there's nothing to do with who they are, but rather how they make you feel. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, does selfishness or selflessness really come into that? Is it maybe just that we get into these patterns and it's just we, we need what we know. Mm. We just get used to it and... It can even be self-destructive, but mm. it's just what we know and it's what we can work with and it's what makes us feel human, alive, mm. like right in ourselves somehow, mm. even if it seems so contra- like contrary to our needs, you know, we get into these the same relationship patterns over and over again. We end up with people who treat us like shit, who mm. are really jealous. 
but that's the kind of love that we feel most at home in. So we constantly seek it out and it might not even be conscious. Mm. I think most of the time it isn't conscious. Do you think you have to have come from, so let's say you're somebody who constantly gets into relationships that where they're slightly abusive, maybe not even physically, mm. but just behaviorally to you. Do you think that you have to have gone through that as a kid in order to have that kind of like fucked up emotional bond to that, which means that you constantly seek that out? Or where do you think that comes from? Ooh, it could come from maybe not even just like childhood trauma. I guess it could be from, you know, you're abused in later in life mm-hmm. and, and you haven't worked through it to the point where you are seeking out a different kind of well is that I don't know that's a really tough question do you know I mean because I I'm trying to think now obviously I can really only speak from like my own personal perspective and I I thought when he spoke about that Alan de Botton's point it was really really interesting that maybe you don't go for like the best person and that's so true because often there are scenarios where like someone is super nice Mm -hmm. and lovely to me Mm -hmm treats me like a princess but there's just something about them that I'm like uh you're not you're not like connecting with me and maybe it's they're not giving me that like quote-unquote childhood trauma that I'm I'm searching for that feels like home but then again at the same time I'm like I didn't really go through anything traumatic as a kid I don't feel like I did I don't I don't have I don't think any mummy or daddy issues but then again and then I'm just trying to think of partners that I go for now. And like, I mean, you know the people that I go for now. Do you think there's any, for anyone who doesn't know, like me and Anna have been best friends since we were like 14. We went to school together. Anna knows every single boy I've ever kissed. Like every scenario, every text message I've ever sent anyone. <laughs> and so I'm just curious as to whether you think, because maybe it's easier for somebody else to see it then from from personal perspective, do you think there's a pattern? Except material and physical things that I go for in guys, like emotional emotional things or ways that they make me feel that maybe hmm. I go for and I haven't seen? Because I'm trying to recognize if maybe that comes from something in my childhood. I mean, we often talk about like guys treating us like shit and mm. that somehow being some in some way attractive but I I've heard so many women Mm. talk about that Mm. so it's really hard to distinguish you know is this just the culture we've grown up in is this being a woman is that just um Mm. you know what our culture is kind of brought up in us or is it our parents I think it's a combination of everything it's probably genetic to to an extent there's Mm. probably so many things and this is why love is like the hardest thing ever <laughs> to talk about or debate because God, you can take it to in so many directions. You know, is it a biological need? Is it some kind of existential, like human condition thing? But yeah, I would say that you, I notice you tend to be more drawn to people who kind of are a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out now, folks. Anna, why don't you tell me how you really fucking feel? <laughs> Um, do you think so? Like emotionally? Not that you, I don't know if that's what you're originally drawn to, but I think it's, I think it, and again, I don't think this is just a personal thing to you. I just noticed it in so many people. They're like, yeah, he's just really nice. Yeah, in a bad way. They're like, he's so nice that I'm just put off. And then there's this really negative cycle where I think guys pick up on that. Yeah. And they know that they don't want to be the nice guy. Yeah. And there's always that like trope in movies where it's like, oh, it's the nice guy. You know, he never gets the girl. But then he also turns out to be really fucked up himself because mm. he's on some level very manipulative. I don't know. I watched a thing on that recently. It was interesting. Oh, really? They're not really nice. They're just being nice because later down the line they they, they want to sleep with you or something. Yeah. Can we unpack that, the whole why girls go for dicks? Because <laughs> it's so interesting and maybe it, it has, so, I think it has something to do with obviously being rejected and trying to prove that you are good enough. Mm. And so even when you're in scenarios where you know that you and that guy wouldn't necessarily be a good match, or maybe you don't even want to have him as a boyfriend, or maybe you don't want to have him as a girlfriend, you know, whoever's doing it, it's this... It's when someone like gives off some signal and I would love to know maybe even what you think about it in like primal times or like animalistic terms. But when someone gives you a signal of, I don't need you in my life, like I'm kind of good. And it's like a thing where you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, why, what are you doing? Like, why, how, how are you, why don't you want me? I think we get addicted to the feeling of not being enough. Mm. 
Wait, I want to just think about that. We get addicted <laughs> to the feeling of not being enough. Okay. Yeah, and we sort of just, you know, I think of love very much in the in terms of addiction, um, and even with drug addiction itself, I think it's seeking out a connection to of some kind. You just want to feel it, but it's this very sort of false sense of connection. Um, but yeah, I think we just get addicted to the, the, the pattern, the routine of going round and round and feeling like this overwhelm and then the crash and then the overwhelm and cycle that we get into. And if when something's kind of baseline, normal, nice, easy, we can't get that like addictive mm. feeling. Mm. Um, Why do you think we're addicted to that feeling? Like, how do you think that feeling makes us feel and that makes us want us keep coming back for more we're just we're just very strange human beings i think we just get into this sort of habit of um feeling like we need to achieve and like latch onto something mm. and and it's very like obsessive and self-destructive and it's, a, it's i think it's at the heart of us i think that maybe it has to do with our ego mm. and i mean everything's probably to do with our own ego but i think it has to do with this idea that we need to feel like this the center of the universe and of the stage and if we have someone that gives us a, like a rush of attention, someone who we've deemed as like acceptable and good and ticks all our boxes, then the way that they that person sees us like validates us mm. as like a, a human being that we wanna be seen as. Mm -hmm. and, and so like that gives us the rush. I'm just trying to think then like why, quote unquote, the nice guy, why we don't get that I guess it's not a competition anymore. Like if you have a nice guy who treats you really well, you feel like you've kind of won and, and that's it. Whereas like you said, you want to go through the rush and then the crash. Getting that validation of someone going, oh, I kind of gave you the impression that you weren't good enough, but actually now don't worry, here's the green light, you are good enough. And like, that's what we're seeking. I also think there's something really ingenuine mm. when we we come across somebody who we know we never have any fights, everything's nice, everything's good. Firstly, my assumption there is that there's a lot going on underneath mm -hmm. that isn't spoken about. I think we're more likely to feel that love is real, again, going back to the suffering thing, if we have these huge kind of intense sort of crashes and repairs with that person. So we build trust in that way. I don't think trust just comes from being nice to one another. I think trust comes from the shit that you go through together and manage to repair, manage to get through. But that's so interesting because, but do you think then that what if you have two people who have had crazy relationships before and they've said to each other on separately, but like they've said to themselves, I want to try and be super honest in my next relationship so that I don't, don't have to go through all those crazy ups and downs. Can't you, lie. but can't you, can't you build trust just from being really honest with someone from the beginning? Like, do you have to go through the massive crashes and ups and downs? But with honesty, like the truth hurts. Like, you know that, and, and honesty requires like vulnerability and it's painful to be honest. I think, you know, if we were honest all the time, it, it would be, fucking hard yes i don't think honesty is is nice at all but so are you saying that you have to go through emotional clashes in order for that honesty to come out because it's so difficult to just be honest on a everyday level say that again do you think that because because you said before that you can build a really trustworthy relationship when you guys are really honest with each other and that honesty kind of comes out when you go through ups and downs and crashes so for example maybe you in my head how i interpret that is like let's say you're at a bar and you think your boyfriend is flirting with someone and you're feeling a bit rejected and so you talk to them about it and you're like what the fuck and they're like well you i wasn't flirting with that person and that's an explosive moment but it's an opportunity for honesty and that can arguably bring you closer do you think you need moments like that in order to achieve that kind of uh, level of honesty in a relationship? Or do you think you can get to those moments from just being super honest and open with that person from the get-go of like making them feel really secure? And arguably you can have that with the quote-unquote the nice guy where like... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think there's any, there's any straight answer to that. 
it's the really minor moments rather than like you're cheating on me you know I, I think like when love is that like a relationship is that up and down it can it can just you know I don't think that that is the ingredient to like a lasting relationship I think it's like the little things, the very little moments where we can feel someone's being honest with us. There's like minor slip ups, but you kind of get through them together. Mm. And for me, and I might change my mind in a moment because that's what's <laughs> happened to me so much with reading this stuff. Lasting love is about the little things mm. rather than like, you know, we got through this. I mean, well, that too, that too, mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you say the little things, what do you mean? Like, be, uh, go back to the love language thing as well. Do you mean kind of like conveying your love on a daily? Because the love languages, Gary Chapman, Gary Chapman, I understand those to be things that you express on a daily basis, aka maybe those are the little things. Like maybe saying, hey, you're really beautiful as words of affirmation. Well, I mean, because we're talking, because you're asking about like, you know, do you need those big crashes mm -hmm. in order for love to feel real? Maybe some people do, maybe that's the way they experienced love when they were kids or whatever, but I think it's like the little moments of like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean that that way. And you can be like, oh, that's all right. You know, or have an argument or you get through it and then you forget about it. But yeah. that forms part of this lasting love because you've worked through it on an everyday basis. Right. I don't think it's like, the problem I have with this is boiling it down. Mm. Like, and then once once you've boiled it down, you're not left with much. What you're do not you mean? Left, well, I'm talking about like the the five uh, love languages. Like, I you know, I came across this thing that's like, you know, love is so complex. How can you boil it down to just five things? Is, is love really just those five things? Love is also, you know this this deep rooted connection that you can't explain and you couldn't you can't give to somebody mm. or receive from somebody you feel it and it's sort of like so do you think that's what it is you feel it because some of the reading i was doing is that greeks and there was a tribe or something you were talking about what was the tribe was oh, it a tribe? samoan yeah samoan culture samoan so this is i was looking it up because they have this word alofa mm. meaning well, it's the closest word they have that is equal to our understanding of love. And that's where the Hawaiian word aloha comes from. Oh, I didn't know which that. Which apparently means like sweetheart, affection. But yeah, again, it's these are this is translated into English, so our understanding of that might be completely different to mm. theirs. But aloha is about duty what you what your duty is in right. a relationship rather than like i feel you know this connection and this energy and this spark and everything i think it's much more about your role for that other person so would you say that in samoan culture because this is the same with how ancient greeks from what i can remember were defining love is that it's not a feeling how even though maybe in western today's society we've feel it we think we feel love more whereas like Samoans and Greeks are like it's more of a verb it's acts of service potentially it's listening to someone mm. it's understanding someone it's being there for someone caring for them which is so interesting so I was talking about this the other day with my friend and he was saying that he thinks it's it's like a feeling like you can feel like you're in love with someone mm. but can you and like what is that feeling Dude, this is way over. I have no idea. I have. It's so hard to, you know. You asked me, have you been in love? And I was like, definitely. I have no idea. I think it's just such a personal experience. But again, that's using very Western, a Western way of of seeing things. That it's very personal. In other cultures, it's it's not about you. It's not about a personal experience. It's about what you can give to your community, to yeah. your family. But speaking of ancient Greeks. They define eight different types of love. Mm, I came Did across this that? too, yeah, go on. There's philia, which is brotherly love. So that's like having deep convos with someone, having openness, showing gratitude. And then there's pragma, which is enduring love, which is more subconscious, it's deeper. This is like when a couple have like created a sustain, sustaining love over time. And it says that that requires mutual effort. So that sounds a lot like some of the stuff in the five love love uh, love languages. Mm. When you say mutual effort, do you mean like acts of service? Like I'm gonna 
clean the floor yeah. and words of affirmation I'm going to tell him how funny he is yeah. and physical touch I'm going to touch him on his thighs so he knows that I love him and I'm going to brush her hair yeah I don't know I think I think that's what it means but then again I'm thinking is that really what makes enduring love is if you share the hoovering like is that <laughs> what that is if you empty the dishwasher yeah, like... yeah. do I think so yeah I think so because like imagine you and me are together or even just as friends if I'm if we're living with each other and I don't do things to show that I respect your space like for example I always leave you to empty the dishwasher I leave my shit around and I just expect you to be cool with it like that shows a lack of respect on my part for your environment so is a lack of respect the same as lack of love yeah I think so I mean I definitely think that to be in love to have love for someone you have to have respect for someone so that's quite selfless is it no, not necessarily, because like I could love you because you... Okay, so if I love you, let's assume that is going to make you feel good about yourself. And I might benefit from you feeling good about yourself because that makes me feel better about myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I could, my, I might be just trying to keep you in a, good, in a happy state because I know that if you're in a happy state, I'm going to be in a happy state. Mm. Because mm. you're... you're something that serves my happiness. I don't think anything in life is selfless. Even, even I remember my friend Marley ages ago, like years and years mm. ago, we were talking about giving to charity and she was saying, but when you give to charity, it is selfish because you give and it makes you feel good about yourself. Mm. And so you're like, oh, I'm a good person. Mm. And that is kind of, in a way, it's a selfish act to make yeah. yourself feel better, right? Yeah, I saw this thing today, how they've discovered rats can feel empathy they did an experiment where they trap a rat in a really uncomfortable tight spot and the other rat helps it escape even though there's technically no no benefit to them mm. but dude they're it's their friend they're in a cage it's their <laughs> yeah. only friend what yeah. else do they have to do in there yeah. it's an empty cage and probably they have some kind of system in rats where that rat will then show their appreciation yeah but is that a selfish act like because you can feel can't you feel empathy and Empathy isn't selfish, is it? I think empathy and love seem, in my mind, they overlap quite a bit. But I think with empathy, there is something about yourself being in it. When you empathise with someone, you're seeing their world through your eyes. How can, how can you possibly just feel something for someone without that being partly I don't know yeah like how for you it, it's so true because anything that's it's funny the word selfish sounds so loaded but when you actually think about it it's just something I assume that's to do with the self mm. like someone's perspective or your own motivations that all derives from the self but everything in life is selfish like how can you do like you said how can you do anything that doesn't come from your own perspective because you're you only have your own head you only have your own brain like mm. anything that you do is gonna be selfish and maybe that's not a bad thing maybe it's not bad that love is selfish i'm thinking like my mind's going to like unconditional love and if you were to so imagine you really love somebody and they move away and you're never going to see them again. And you somehow fi find out that they died. It doesn't make any difference anyway. You were never going to see them again. Mm. But the fact that they've died still breaks your heart. Yeah, that's really interesting. But that's so interesting because this is... I feel like if you were a Stoic and that happened, and if you, like, in Stoicism... Let me just get the definition of Stoicism for people who don't know. Stoicism is the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and mm. without complaint. Uh, it's an ancient Greek school of philosophy founded at Athens by Zeno of Citium. The school taught that virtue, the highest good, is based on knowledge. The wise live in harmony with the divine reason, also identified with fate and providence, that governs nature and are indifferent to the vicissitudes. So how do I say it? Vicissitudes. Vicissitudes of fortune and pleasure and pain. Mm. I love like the Greek. The, this. I I just feel like it's such an amazing ideal and maybe one that is too non-emotional for humans to strive towards but I think it's really it's an amazing thing so taking what you said of if you are in love with someone and you know you're never going to see them again but then they die stoicism is such a logical school of thought that I feel like if you were a stoic and you were in love you would just accept well 
everything comes to an end. It doesn't make a difference anyway. I'm going to endure this pain and suffering because that is all what life is made of and accept it. But then does that mean that being a stoic is way less of a selfish perspective? How did the stoics fall in love, man? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But they do it. Like, it's so interesting when I was reading stuff about stoic love. So, like, listen to this. Stoic love is moderated by a sense of future loss, by the potential for betrayal, for the reality that our own feelings might change over time as well. Having accepted these basic conditions, the irrationality of these powerful biological feelings we have becomes a little more rational and life a little more manageable. So any relationship you potentially get into, you get into it thinking, this is going to end at one point. They're probably going to betray me anyway. I probably won't even love them in two weeks, three weeks, one year, two years time. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be so emotionally invested. Mm -hmm. A lot of these ideas came about when people were fucking suffering (laughs) and it's interesting how the it's come about a lot more like I hear a lot more of people our age talking about stoicism I think there's just something so human about this suffering and pain and and I think that is the basis of the human condition and like enduring that it takes a lot of courage but where's the line like because on one level, I'm so it's so funny you and me have come back to talking about this because we kind of we always like kind of talk about this in in some way like, uh, and I remember t- telling you about that Eleanor Roosevelt quote that I think it really I think is really inspiring that is people can only hurt people can't hurt you without your consent and we've discussed this before where's the line of you falling in love with someone and allowing your emotions to be led by them and feeling hurt and feeling upset and then where do you draw the line of I'm not going to allow myself to be so emotionally affected by this. Like my feelings are kind of an island. You know, what what is good and what's bad? Because if you let yourself be so emotionally led by things, you can go a bit crazy. Mm. And you can, going back to what we were talking about before, like if someone rejects you and you chase that feeling of like, why are they rejecting me? Like I'm so involved with them. I want them so much. Like Mm. that can send you, that can be a big waste of energy. And like maybe this is a better way. Like this said, it's a better way to make your feelings a little bit more manageable. And isn't that a good, isn't that a better way to live with, I don't know, the word manageable suggests that things are more under control in your life. Is that better? It's really interesting. I kind of think having emotions under wraps like that can also send you crazy. It's this, just a spectrum, really, of, mm. of like, you got to know yourself well enough to know where you are on that. I don't believe in always approaching things with this stoic mindset, but it's nice to kind of remind yourself. I think under certain circumstances, I might go back to that Roosevelt quote. But other times, I'll just let myself like rage and be human. I I think there's something so uh, detached and like overly intellectualizing about this kind of like, no, my my feelings are not, it's not rational to feel this way. Well, of course it's not, but that's fine. You know, yeah. just let yourself feel. Yeah. What's the problem with feeling? You know, and the problem, I guess you just have to know yourself again to, to know what's too much and when to stop. And yeah, I don't think we can be so black and white about it. You know, I'm so, I just want to say this, like I'm so, and I, I know we know how much like we love each other and everything, but like I am so grateful to be your friend. <laughs> and like, I'm so, I love your friendship so much because I feel like... Words of affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to speak your love language, bro. <laughs> but I just feel like uh, it's so good to have someone in your life who can counter things that you think or whatever and it's just so nice because even though I think this Eleanor Roosevelt quote is really cool and and it is really intellectualized and it's something that like I kind of the stoicism thing like I strive to 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 achieve because I like this idea of having my own emotional island but then at the same time it's like kind of a relief to hear someone who I respect and love so much just be like you can just rage and you can just be upset and like, you know, go a bit crazy sometimes, which is nice too. Yeah. I'm training to be a therapist and I think a lot of clients will come to me and just be, have this thing about therapy where they're kind of like, oh no, I don't want to give rein to my emotions right now because I don't know when they'll stop. And I think there's something really good about that. You know, they're they're knowing themselves enough to, to know that that's not healthy for them. But on the other hand, the reason why we need therapy is because our emotions are so under wraps all the time. 
in everyday life. We're not allowed to feel a lot of the time. And therapy essentially, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that come into therapy, but I think one of the main ones is just allowing yourself to feel and not judging it, not trying to change it, not rationalizing, just feeling, letting it out and just noticing it and being all right with that. That kind of comes under this one of these other eight types of love, which is philousia, just self-love. And I think there's something very self-loving about just allowing yourself to be. And how, and if you can't do that, again, how can you love somebody else? If you can't have that level of, of self-awareness and self-understanding and being all right with yourself. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the self-love thing, going back to how love is something that's really selfish, but how that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I guess the more you love yourself in a way that's rational and not like overly narcissistic of like, oh my God, I'm the best person ever. But the more the more you love yourself in terms of like self-love and self-respect and prioritizing what you need out of life, if you have that on like a really good level, then the per- someone who you're looking for is someone who you know that will respect your own high level of self-love. Mm. So you'll probably end up that person who you pick, like going back to that quote by Anne Rand, who was talking about how the the greatest tribute you can pay to that person is loving that person. Because if you're somebody who you respect your own needs and your own values, then if you're picking somebody who you love, like that is the greatest compliment because you're coming from a place of, I really respect myself and my needs. Mm. The more you love and respect yourself, then when you pick someone, who you want to also love and respect, that person is gonna be on that same level of self-love that you have. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and how does that compare to the nice guy? What do you mean? Well, that person who you sense has that level of self-respect and knows themselves. Because we were talking earlier about like being drawn to the night, to the, you know, the dickhead mm-hmm. and being kind of averse to those people who are like, nice right 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 but because there's something so ingenuine about them right but then there's this other guy we're talking about now who knows himself and he respects himself so which where does he come in that hierarchy of like yeah manic but i would argue that if you're in a place not you specifically but generally if you're in a mm-hmm. place where you are being a tr- where you're being drawn to the dickheads mm-hmm. that you arguably don't you're not in a place where you have enough self-love in order for you to pick someone wisely mm. and that how going again like full circle that that might be an indication of who you're picking is more of a reflection on what's going on in your own mental space mm. and something maybe that if you are picking people who are detrimental to yourself or abusive or whatever that maybe that's a sign that you need to actually spend more time on philousia and self-love <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you need to do some flouchering. <laughs> yeah I agree with that it's it's interesting though do you think you ever really come to a sort of like a point where your self-love just like kind of peters off and stays stable I think we're just inherently unstable as people where we're sort of like constantly trying to manage who we are and we don't know what we're worth and sometimes we do and we have these ups and downs and do you think you ever come to that point where it's like oh I know myself. So I find this really interesting because without trying to sound arrogant or whatever, I really feel like I know myself and uh, and maybe I don't. Like maybe I have this total, totally false perception of whatever that means, but I feel like I have a lot of self-love mm-hmm. and I feel like I know myself and I feel like I have a lot to offer somebody and I feel like I'm not crazy and maybe there's a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't worked through and I'm just suppressing that but that's kind of how I feel now I mean I'm very aware that yeah if someone kind of when I was younger and particularly if I came across like dickheads when I was like dating I was more drawn to them Mm. but now I feel like and I feel like you and me are coming more to a place where we talk about like personal things where now when I see that in people, and recently I had a big thing of that where I was seeing this guy, you know this story, where I was seeing this guy and um, I really, really liked him and he didn't treat me, we dated for like a month and he didn't treat me the way that I wanted to be treated at the 
point in my life that I'm at now and like the level of self-respect I have now he wasn't meeting that mm-hmm. and so I ended it and I think that was that's a really good healthy sign of progressing and like and and prioritizing self-love in in and how that helps in finding a partner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I mean there's a lot of suffering that comes into that too mm-hmm. you know loving yourself also takes a lot of suffering yep so much suffering so much we're like oh god you know i know this is the right thing to do but it fucking hurts so much it takes a lot to love yourself Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because do you think that when you opt for that suffering in order to prioritize yourself that you're you're, you are taking suffering on some kind of level, but you can kind of recognize intrinsically, I'm going to suffer in the short term to avoid suffering in the long term. Is that the kind of exchange that you're making? You know, like, I'm going to say to him, listen, I want to end this now because he's given me the first kind of red flag or deal breaker, which is which goes against my level of self-love that I require. And even though it's going to be painful now, I'm just taking a bet and I'm putting my cards on the table that this suffering is going to be way less than the suffering I'm going to face down the line. I mean, that feels more rational to me. It feels more on the rational side, which is also necessary, you know, to have both. But yeah, I think it's, again, finding the balance between letting yourself feel awful Mm. and also noticing okay this is this is too much and i need to do what's right for me and yeah it's finding it's finding that sweet spot which is not sweet at all it's fucking bitter <laughs> it's awful and that's why you need friends bro <laughs> yeah. i honestly don't know what i would do that without philia. friends yeah <laughs> what were the other greek uh, okay. definitions what is this different ways of expressing love it's different types of love okay so there's one i don't know how to pronounce it but it's it's spelt storge but I think it's storge. <laughs> storge. 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 Which comes from acceptance and deep connection. So you, building memories with somebody. And so I kind of find that difficult to distinguish from the other one about enduring love. Mm. Yeah, I found it interesting because there's also like on this website, and I don't know if this is how the Greeks set it out, <laughs> suggestions for how to express it. And one of them was sacrificing, so for storge, mm-hmm. it was sacrificing time and uh, giving loving words, which is like quality time and words, words of affirmation. affirmation. Eros is is this kind of primal romantic love that's very much about an infatuation, a personal infatuation with that person. And they said you can generally express that through physical touch. Mm-hmm. And then you have ludus, which is playful love, which is flirtatious. It's like honeymoon phase. It's very giddy. Mm. And it's so interesting. It's almost like there's a that these are like graded. These are all on a sort of spectrum where there's ludus, which is sort of giddy, and then there's mania, which is like obsessive, jealous. And then there's philalsha, which is coming back to the sort of self-worth and self-love. And then the final one is agape, which is selfless love, and they call it the highest level of love. And it's it's the kind of love where you give it without expecting anything in return. Okay, so maybe... In, a, in a, an amazing world where like the love that a parent has for a child yeah but then the, but then they describe parent child as storge <laughs> what was storge again <laughs> storge is an acceptance and a deep connection which is built on memories so it's just kind of talking about the different all the different ways in which someone can express potential love not necessarily that they're all good some of them are, are bad yeah 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 they're all which yeah and which perhaps feels more real to me than rather than the five languages of love which are all about giving and receiving and it's also positive mutual and and all of that stuff it, it, it that doesn't quite sit right with me i mm-hmm. think there is this kind of manic element to love and there's a very serene part of it that manic weird. that manic uh, element of love what do you think that is about? Like, do you think that some people get this like urgency, you know? Cause like, you know, when you think, we're, not even necessarily when you love someone, but you're like forming a, a connection with them, mm. there is some kind of level of urgency of like, yeah. they didn't reply to my message <laughs> or like, well, I haven't seen him since like t- four, four days ago. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's just like societal pressures of like, so when are you next seeing him? Mm-hmm. But do you think maybe that, that urgency is actually an animalistic thing? And if so, why do we have this urgency and, ma- and manic, thing where like we've managed to live our life and survive up until this point why do we suddenly have this like obsession with this person well i think 
and I think this kind of goes back to, you know, when I was asking, like, if, if that person moved away and you never saw them again, why would it still hurt? I think it's because when you're, when you love somebody, there's something about a part of you being in them because they know something that only they can understand about you, or at least that's how it feels. You kind of create this environment amongst yourselves where you you have this deep emotional connection that's so personal. And so when they move away and then they die, it's like you've lost a part of yourself. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, time is the most precious thing that we have on this planet. Mm -hmm. And so when you sacrifice your time to be in that person's energy, to be in their environment, to share something with them, to share time, that massively valuable thing, if that person then moves away, if they betray you, maybe that's why it's so painful because, yeah. and you know, maybe this is all bullshit as well, but like, it just sounds like it makes sense to me right now. <laughs> but like, you know, you've shared that they've seen, they, they've been with you in a time where like no one else has been there. You've shared like some emotional connection with them, physical connection with them possibly. And then for them to leave, for them to betray you is such a, it's difficult because you're vulnerable, arguably, with that person. Unless you're putting up loads of walls and, and you're height deflecting yourself, whatever. But if you really feel like you're being yourself mm -hmm. and then someone just like leaves, I guess that is difficult, especially if I find that I tend to go really like fall for guys who make me feel a certain way about myself. Okay, I thought you were going to say obsessed. What do you mean? Well, because we were talking about obsession, mm. I thought you were going to say I tend to fall for guys who make me feel obsessed. Well, that might be an offshoot of it. Like, mm. I, I, there are guys who I, I've hung out with who I'm like, you're great, and like, I, I like you and everything, but I don't like the way that you see me, or I don't like the way that I feel around you. Mm. And guys that tend to, I feel like, see me more, make me feel more authentic and like, more like myself. Mm. Uh, so when then when I feel like then they leave, it hurts even more. Cause I'm like, wow, I really felt like myself around you. I really felt that like you saw me and then you rejected that on some level. Mm -hmm. And whether that or not, that has anything to do with me. It might not, it might be to do with someone else, might be to do with them. That's quite tough to accept mm -hmm. considering mm -hmm. you've lived with yourself for all this period of time and like, you know yourself and you kind of thought, oh, I thought they would get me. They've seen your vulnerability and they've thrown it away. Yeah. Or they've moved away and... Died. It, it, yeah, and, it, and your part of you died with them. Yeah. And I think, so going back to the obsession thing, I think when we're obsessed with someone, it's almost like, I kind of see it as like they, they've kind of dug a hole into you a little bit and yeah. they've touched something in you that actually touches on a very vulnerable part of you that has a need that you think they can fulfill somehow. Mm. But then my question is like, was that hole always there then? Did they kind of make it? Mm. Or was that always there and they've kind of given you the sense that may maybe they could fill it? Mm. But I don't think it has anything to do with them. Like, mm. I feel like we talk about this, how you you need to be at 100%, you know? And I don't mean 100% as in like energy and <laughs> attitude. I mean like, you as you are, Anna, you're an amazing person. You're whole. You don't need anyone in your life, right? Same God, as these me. these words of affirmation. <laughs> really, I, I think really coming through. I think you're giving me a message right now. <laughs> but I think that when someone goes into dating, you should think, I'm at 100%. If I meet somebody who can make my life 110%, awesome. Mm. But you shouldn't be going out there dating people if you're at 90%, 95%, and you're like looking for someone to to make you feel whole because then you're always gonna be like weirdly attached to that person and dependent of that person. So even though it might hurt if they go, this is when like the stoic kind of stoicism can help because it's, it's like, that's okay that they've left because they can leave and I'm still gonna be fine and the world is still gonna turn and there are billions of other people in the world and I don't need someone to make me feel whole. What does it mean to be a hundred percent? I don't know anyone who's a hundred percent. I don't know. mean I don't mean like literally they feel a hundred percent in attitude and mood okay. and I mean like that they real as somebody who realizes that they are good just as they are and they don't need to they don't need to meet somebody to make them feel whole. 
They don't need to wallow in singleness because being single is not a bad thing. I mean that somebody who is okay realizes with, that they they don't need anyone else. Yeah, like they don't need anyone else to make themselves feel better. Mm. But maybe that's maybe that's something you don't agree with. Maybe you think that I think we all need people yeah. to you know, it's like we have social needs. We all need to from the moment we're born where you know our arms are outstretched reaching for someone to hold us mm. and that's that feeling I don't think that ever goes away and wow I think that's actually so interesting it's sort of like you just want someone to hold you and that doesn't mean physically it doesn't mean I'm kind of thinking you know you're 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 kind of seeking somebody to hold you as you are as a person and I guess thinking of that boy who moves away to a desert island and we never see him again it's like he he's holding a part of you by the way, speaking of meaning, did you do the quiz, the online quiz, the love languages? No, I actually never did it. The way it's structured is quite interesting. The way they ask these questions is... So wait, anyone who doesn't know, okay. to find out what your love language is, you can actually do the quiz. Yeah. And I think you answer these questions to find out which one you yeah. understand, interpret love. The yeah, best. and it gives you your results in like percentages. But the so the way it goes is you answer so, so many questions and each one begins with it's more meaningful to me when dot 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 and then they give you two options and you got to choose between the two i found some of these so strange like okay so one of them was like it's more meaningful to me when and one of the options was i can be comfortable putting my arm around or high-fiving someone i love okay so physical touch yeah and i was like okay yeah because i knew them already i was like okay it's trying to figure out whether that's more important to me but like a high five or putting your arm around someone is i don't know like there was there are other ones like that were clearly about quality time like i'm around someone i love even if we're not really doing anything is that quality time that's <laughs> such a good question like what is quality time such a good point what is quality i guess to me quality time would be time when you both engage with each other, listening to each other, and trying to empathize with each other. Mm. But it, that would be active for me. That wouldn't just be sitting in the same yeah, space. Yeah, sitting around, just watching TV, not really doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And because some people as well are just, they get like FOMO and they're not very good independently. Yeah. So those people might just like to be in someone's presence, but that's not necessarily quality time. That's just not feeling as alone. I wonder if there are people who really feel a deep sense of love and satisfaction from like just sitting around I mean I get that and on one level you know how me and you hang out and don't really do anything sometimes we're just in each other's company and that there's a feeling of love there because mm. it's like you know we're with each other and there's something quite loving about that somehow. but I would never feel like if I lived in a different country and you and me didn't get to do that I would never feel like yeah. we didn't love each other because we couldn't just be on our phones for like two hours sitting in my room <laughs> together do you know what I mean yeah. I would exactly. feel like still loved by you if we spoke on the phone a lot mm. made an effort to like visit each other every now and then yeah and I suppose that's where the quality comes in because there's some effort yeah, being put yeah. In there, <laughs> rather than just like yeah do you want to get a pizza yeah although I actually would quite like yeah. to get a pizza <laughs> So I think in terms of like wrapping this up, the impression I've got from you after speaking from this, and this is definitely my impression as well, is that the five love languages kind of, I just don't think there's that much. I understand the concept behind it and I think it's it's interesting and it is eye-opening because it makes me think, like physical touch, I'm not very good at physical touch. When I was growing up, I didn't get as much physical touch from my parents as I think that other people did. Mm. And so now I don't actually feel that comfortable just naturally touching people. And I have to make a conscious effort to touch people, mm. even if I feel uncomfortable about it, because I want to try and convince, like show them that I love them. So I think in a way for me, it's been good to learn what these things are. But I also think that it's pretty vague like you were talking about love is not just a give and take thing I speak this language you speak this language mm. and Gary Chapman to be honest criticizing him like he does talk about it in super basic mm -hmm. kind of patronizing ways like there are times where he talks about how yeah I won't do the accent because that's just like kind of mean but like <laughs> how he talks about how he compares different love languages to if I speak Chinese and you speak German and how are we ever going to communicate because we don't speak the same love la we don't speak the same la language like Love is so complex and you can express love in so many different ways. It's not literally like, oh, I didn't buy you a necklace so you mm -hmm. don't think I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not black and white. Mm. I think the biggest question we've 
kind of been talking about here is is love selfless or not Mm. and that gary is onto something in that he kind of it seems like his his perspective is that it's pretty selfish Mm -hmm. like we're we're basically trying to just you know get what we need from the other person and Mm -hmm. that's um that's all very much about the two people involved rather than what they individually kind of create amongst them and the deep rooted sense of love and connection it's all sort of like what can i give you what can you give me okay cool Mm. (laughs) but which i don't necessarily think is a bad thing like i think that from this reading i've kind of learned that love is selfish and that's okay Mm -hmm. just be aware of what you are taking from somebody else and what you think that you need and maybe ask yourself why you Mm. want that i also want to say that i think one of the most interesting things that you the one of my like moments where I was like, oh my God, when you spoke about how, cause I always think, oh, we're hundred percent. We should be hundred percent. If someone makes us better, that's great. But actually as human beings, wanting someone and being loved by someone is actually kind of fundamental to our existence and that's okay like the whole idea of when you're born you're like outstretched like that and you're looking for someone and whether that's validation or maybe not validation, but some kind of connection that's human that's okay and that's what we're all after so even if you come across the dick you know not literally the dickhead you know whatever sometimes literally (laughs) but like fundamentally you can assume that everybody is looking for love and we can take some kind of refuge in that Mm. and just self-love try and prioritize yourself take into account other people's feelings and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah, and I do like a a few things that Gary says where he says, you know, something in our psyche cries out to be loved. I think that's very true. Mm. But then he talks about that in terms of marriage (laughs) and how marriage is designed to be for love and i'm like is it no is yeah it's designed to be for love i think he's quite religious yeah and he says that's why it's in the bible but doesn't jesus i mean jesus is all about altruism and i mean this is a whole another it's a debate whole other pod. <laughs> a whole other pod about religion and marriage and the fucked up <laughs> virtues of religion but anna thank you so much no worries for being on my podcast and i'm gonna wrap it up i've loved it every second of it oh give me words of affirmation <laughs> that's it guys i hope you enjoyed that pod if you think that you have a love language if you resonated with any of them if you learned something or to be honest if you thought that that whole concept is bullshit i would really like to hear from you so dm me at progress pure